it's not unusual to find plenty of wine caves and wine cellars in wine country. What is unusual is discovering a sophisticated broadcast facility inside these well-protected and often top-secret chambers. But maybe it really isn't that surprising that America's number one wine broadcast originates from the soul of wine country. Some may consider it over-the-top. We call it being at one with what inspires us. And it is our great privilege to do all we can to inspire you. If you drink wine simply because, well, it's a drink, we've got our work cut out. For literally thousands of years, wine in one form or another has fueled celebrations, ended conflicts, and provided the ultimate connection between one human being and another. It makes food taste better, lifts spirits, sparks our imagination, and beckons us to slow down and love life. If that all sounds good to you, you're in the right place. So sit back, clear your head, Put any worries you have on hold and join us as we go in search of this week's Grape Encounter. But be warned, we speak a much different language than what you typically experience in most wine-centric environments. But you don't come here because you're ordinary, do you? Good, because your host, David Wilson, is here to take you far, far away from the beaten path. first blush, it would seem particularly hard to have very many meaningful grape encounters while we're sequestered at home. And in my particular case, I'm sequestered alone, unless you count Henry, who is my little 18-pound white ball of fluff, who, by the way, doesn't drink wine. What a bummer. Well, anyway, that being said, I've always contended that wine can be a great creative catalyst. So that's what we'll be doing with all of our might for the next several weeks, as a matter of fact, as we navigate our way through this very difficult episode of human history. Now, on the show today, we'll be taking on what I hope to be a very fun project together. In fact, we're all going to be making wine together in each of our own homes. And my guest to help us through this exercise is a fellow by the name of Chris Munch, who will join me in just a few minutes. Now, I'm not going to spill all of the beans in terms of the details just yet, but I think you're going to love what I've got for you. But first, I want to take a few minutes to find some kind of silver lining in this dreadful state of affairs that we all find ourselves in. Now, I've been writing the term shelter in place so much these days that I finally started to abbreviate it. And that's when I discovered a secret message, probably intended to help us find some enjoyment while we all do our part as good citizens. Yep, you guessed it, shelter in place, or for short, SIP. And who am I to argue with that? Now, sipping is definitely something we Americans are doing a lot of this past month. Now, while on-premise sales in bars and restaurants is essentially now zero, what we call direct-to-consumer sales are through the roof. In fact, according to Nielsen, wine sales at grocery stores and alcoholic beverage retailers was up 27.6% for the week ending March 14th, and it continues to climb. Now, not surprisingly, single-serving wine sales are way down. I'm talking about little small bottles, wine in cans, etc. On the other hand, wine that's sold in large containers like three-liter boxes and jugs are up a whopping, get this, 53%. And as far as online sales are concerned, they've also skyrocketed, 42% to be exact. Now, 
Good, bad, or indifferent, governors across the country have designated establishments that sell adult beverages as essential. Now, that decision is not without controversy, and I probably think it's best that I stay on the sidelines where rendering an opinion here is concerned. I would say, however, that consumers have shared their opinions loud and clear. Now, people may be drinking a lot more than they normally do, but I guess if there's one good thing that we can say, it's that everybody's safe at home. And probably what accounts for a significant portion of that increase in consumption is the fact that we just have more opportunities to enjoy wine. We don't have to get in the car. We don't have to travel anyplace. We have a little bit more time or maybe a lot more time to kill. So that's one of the reasons I think the sales are up. But the other reason, and it's, I think, a scary one, is the fact that people probably are indeed overindulging. And that doesn't make me all that happy. Now, there's certainly little doubt that anxiety and fear does greatly impact consumption. And I would say that we all have to find healthier ways to cope. But I would also suggest that this is a good time to discover fine wines that might not have been within your budget. Now, let's think about this for a second. To be sure, millions now have a zero budget. However, if you do intend to continue enjoying wine, the deals out there are really unimaginable right now. I don't know of even a single wine producer that isn't offering powerful incentives. The most popular incentive that you'll see virtually every place is free or nearly free shipping. Now, if we're talking about a service like Amazon.com, that may not seem all that significant. But when it comes to wine, it really is. Because if you ship a case of wine any place, it's not uncommon for the cost of the shipping to be $70 or more. And that's a huge chunk of the overall cost of that wine purchase. Now, as for discounts, in this environment, 10 and even 20% are a given. But in fact, 10 and 20% discounts are something that we see even in the best of times. But what I do think is incredibly amazing is just how big some of the discounts are that are being offered by winemakers. Now, I ran across a story in the San Jose Mercury News, and I'm just going to quote it verbatim because this will absolutely blow your mind. Now, they're talking about a winemaker in Napa, and here's what they say. Atlas Peaks Philippe Langner, owner and winemaker of acclaimed Hesperian Wines, is offering, get this, up to 68% off his coveted Cabernet-only production. The master viticulturist is releasing a three-pack of 2004, 2007, and 2010 library bottles for 300 bucks. The bottles are regularly $250 a piece. A 12-pack of his second-label Cab Anatomy will sell for $300 or $25 a bottle. They regularly sell for 45 bucks. Here's what Langner says in the article. He says, I'm placing my hope on internet sales to stay afloat. I will do these deep discounts to help everybody. I know that I drank a lot of wine during and after the 2017 fires in Napa, and it helped. Now, Langner lost his home and some 300 vines in the 2017 fire. The wine industry facing this challenge, he says, was already in a tough spot. Wine consumption, which had grown for many years, began flattening in 2019. And a big harvest in 2018, due to be bottled in mere months, was already putting downward pressure on prices. So anyway, I think this is just one very small example of the very big discounts that you can take advantage of right now. 
And, you know, rather than go one by one and try to pick out the best discounts, what I would encourage you to do is just Google wine discounts and you will find article after article, offering after offering. There is an absolute abundance of these great offers out there. Now, that being said, obviously, millions of Americans are out of work right now. And the last thing that I would want to encourage anybody to do is to spend essential dollars on wine when you have much higher priorities. But if you do have the money to spend, and if you do intend to spend money on wine, then do your homework because I don't think I've ever seen literally in my lifetime discounts that run this deep. Now, another really interesting story that's come out of this whole COVID crisis is what restaurants are doing to try to raise some capital. And I discovered a really interesting article online at eater.com, and they're talking about a restaurant called Manresa, which is in Los Gatos, California, near San Francisco. It was opened in 2002 by Chef David Kinch, and it's an extraordinary restaurant. It's a, a Michelin three-star restaurant. And here's what they say on Eater.com. As soon as the staff at Manresa learned that they would not be able to keep their dining room open, wine director Jim Ralston knew that their small but premium wine inventory could bring a quick injection of cash to help keep a few people employed. While Manresa's kitchen transitioned into a takeout operation and its management refunded a month's worth of talk reservations to diners, Ralston started plucking higher-priced bottles from the cellar and offering them to wealthy Manresa regulars who had expressed interest in collecting rare wines. He says, Our pricing was way below the market price, intentionally, because I wanted people to see that and swoop in which they did. Among the bottles he sold were several what we call unicorns, like the rare Keller G-Max. In the open market or on a restaurant's wine list, this German dry Riesling might sell for $1,500 to $2,000. But according to the article in Eater, a collector snapped it up from Manresa for 800 bucks. Word of Manresa's wine sales spread quickly among collector groups throughout the region, and within the first week, the restaurant had raised over $40,000 from rare wine sales. Now, why does this matter to you? Well, in the final analysis, so much of that money is going to be necessary for these businesses to restart once this international nightmare is over. So do what you can if you're a wine lover to support restaurants, your winemakers, wine cellars. There are a lot of jobs at stake. And for you, there are just some truly wonderful opportunities, if you can afford them, to really get some kind of enjoyment out of a very, very dismal situation. We're going to be back with more Grape Encounters in just a second as we talk about all of us collectively making wine at home. That's coming up next on Grape Encounters Radio. Sun is sinking low. 
That song you hear behind me is called Honey Wine, and it was the subject of a purely delightful interview that I did about a month ago with the singer-songwriter who created it. Her name is Kelsey Rotiers, and who could have imagined what a terrible turn life would take just days after our conversation? Anyway, as we all search for ways to make the most of being confined in our homes 24-7, I had the craziest idea inspired by this song. Now, you may think that quarantine is starting to chip away at my sanity, but hear me out. Here's something that all of us can do at the same time, and I can assure you this will be a first. What if each and every one of us simultaneously made at-home honey wine? Yes, I'm dead serious, and I absolutely want all of you to help make this an unforgettable happening. Now, you may not be familiar with honey wine, but you might know it by its more common name, mead. And it's very popular in other parts of the country that don't make conventional wines like California, Washington, Oregon, New York, New Jersey, whatever. And it can be bone dry, it can be sweet, but what we're going to do today is I'm going to equip you with the tools that you need to make a gallon, just a gallon of honey wine at home. And you got to find out whether it's legal for you to do it in whatever area you are in, but that's your problem. Problem, just obey the law, okay? And obeying the law for most of us means staying home. So let's just have a little bit of fun. Well, I invited to the studio a fellow who I have uh, come to know pretty well in the last, I don't know, maybe it's been two years now. And he does an awfully good job at making ciders and meads. And because mead is not really my thing, you know, I'm more of a Cabernet Sauvignon kind of a guy. I thought I could use a little help in guiding you through through this exercise. So, Chris Munch, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. You are a teacher by trade, right? But also, you bought some new property, you and your wife, and you're planting a bunch of trees with the intention of doing what? A whole bunch of apple trees to make a whole bunch of cider someday. Okay, and you could do that, right? Assuming the city and the state and the federal government say you can. Now, you brought me some of your cider, I'm going to say it was a year or so ago, and it's pretty delicious. And and cider's become a really big thing now. Mm -hmm. It's given wine, I can't say a run for its money, but it certainly is chipping into wine's share of the market. Yeah. And so a lot of people talk about like craft beer, right? And that, you know, craft beer was, you know, really on the rise, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. And now it's craft cider and craft distilleries. Both are really sort of the next big thing with a lot of growth. I got to just say this and you're going to call me a wuss. I kind of like the ciders a little sweeter. I'm just not, you know, into the really sour bone dry cider. Ciders. I, I just enjoy a little bit of sweetness in the cider. Am I not sophisticated enough or am I embarrassing myself right now? No, I mean, there's people that like their, you know, wines off dry or even, you know, on the sweeter side. It's, there's a lot of different dimensions. You know, s- sweetness and dryness is just one component of the flavor. There's so many others. Well, it's funny because, I mean, I enjoy both. And people often ask me, what's your favorite wine? And it's like, I don't know, what day is it? You know, what am I eating? What did I have for lunch? lunch earlier. Everything impacts what we like. And if you're a true wine lover or uh, just, let's say, a craft beverage lover, then you ought to be able to enjoy everything from one side of the spectrum to the next. It's good practice to not get stuck in one rut. But I do, having said that, I do kind of lean toward the sweeter ciders. I don't know. It just kind of reminds me of when I was younger, drinking sweet stuff. Anyway, we're going to talk a little bit more and then we're going to take a little break and then we're going to just jump into how 
how all of you out there can make meat at home. And Chris, can you see anything that is going to cause anybody to really have to break their quarantine? What do we call it? Shelter in place. Nice way of saying quarantine. <laughs> but it's it's easy, right? Ingredients, we're talking just a couple of things. Yeah, the basic ingredients to make mead, you've already got them in your kitchen probably. You know, the equipment that I have, you know, I went and bought manufactured equipment, but you don't have to do that. You can, you know, make do with almost anything, including probably whatever you have at home. You know, I have in my pantry a whole bunch of bottles of honey that have crystallized. I can use that, right? Yeah. Crystallized honey is just means it's been sitting for a while. So you just yeah. warm it up a little bit and it'll, you know, go back to a liquid again. It's a good way to get rid of all that because I think you have honey at home. Chances are you probably have at least one bottle of crystallized honey and you're going, ah, I should probably throw that away. But instead, you're going to use it to make mead wine. And by the way, look at none of us are having a great time right now. I mean, we're doing our best to make do with a very bad situation. But I think that you're going to find this to be a lot of fun. It's going to be very, very creative. Now, I will say this. You're going to need a fairly substantial amount of honey. And you can buy large containers of honey at any grocery store, can't you? It would depend on the store. I mean, if you have a Costco bottle of honey, that'll definitely get you a ways. But yeah. also, you know, mead can be anywhere from as strong as, you know, beer or even like a light beer alcohol level all the way up to more than wine. It's just a question of how much honey you're putting in and, you know, how long you're waiting for it to do its thing. So, I mean, you don't need a huge amount. It'll still ferment even if you only have a pretty small amount. And just getting it to ferment is kind of important part. Once you get that going and the fermentation process begins, then uh, pretty much there's there's very little you really have to do after that. You're just going to be four or five weeks, maybe six weeks on the outside. And we're all going to be having this great honey wine tasting here, which uh, by the way, Chris, I invite you to join us. Absolutely. You want to just go? Sounds great. I think you should be our baseline. You should be the ringmaster for this because you've done this. You've got a lot of experience in this. So as we go through the process each week, I'll just have to drop in on you and say, well, I can't drop in on you, but I can give you a call, right? We'll talk and we'll just see what kind of progress you're making. Fair, sure. Fair enough. All sounds good. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, before we take a break, you brought me something here and I have not tasted this. Tell me what I've got here. What's in it? Uh, it's just mead that I made pretty much just water, honey, and yeast. Water, honey, use... and yeast. Did you use any from this? I didn't. Um, this is actually the first time I've ever made a mead that had no fruit in it at all. Okay, here's the cap dropping. Boy, you can smell the honey right off the bat, right? Yeah. So I got my little shot glass here. <laughs> I'm not going to take any chances of drinking too much. I love the color of this. And it is frizzante, by the way. Meaning, uh, if you don't know this word, it means that it's it's not like carbonated in the way that a champagne or a sparkling wine would be carbonated. But there's definitely this fizz to it, right? Yeah. And I love that quality when you get it in wines. You know, generally we're talking about white wines. Okay, I'm going to give it a sip now. All right, let's go. Oh my gosh! That's that is delicious. It's got a lot of those honey aromatics that are sometimes hard to capture. You had me prepared for this to be dry. This is quite sweet. So it tastes sweeter than it really is. And the big thing with meat is, mm. is what yeast you use and exactly how that works out. Well, yeast is going to be a problem here. So we'll talk about right. that coming up next. Anyway, we are going to begin making honey wine this week. I want thousands of people across America and beyond to join this exercise because five weeks from 
from now, regardless of whether we're still sheltered in place or we're free as a bird, we're going to all have an opportunity to weigh in on this and you're going to get to drink your mead and comment about it. I think we're going to actually set a world record for the most number of people simultaneously making mead wine. Sounds good. Who's going to argue that point, right? Yeah, I don't know. All right. Hey, my guest is Chris Munch, and right now I am munching on his mead, and we're going to come back in just a second, and we're going to walk you through how to do it. We'll post the recipe on our website as well, and we're going to have a whole lot of fun at this very, very dark time in American history. When we return with Grape Encounters Radio... So the county that I live in, in California, was one of the first to adopt shelter in place. So I'm well over a month now that I've been cooped up and I've been looking for all kinds of fun things to do. And, you know, we got into the subject of the song Honey Wine as being one of my favorite songs that has a wine reference. And it said to myself, self, you know what we could do as a group? We could all make honey wine because... It's way easier than making regular wine. It doesn't have nearly as many moving parts. So I've got with me somebody who makes a mean honey wine. Actually, it's it's a very friendly honey wine. His name is Chris Munch, and I guess we've, we've known each other, what, for a couple of years now? Year and a half. Year and a half? Yeah. I'm pushing it to a couple of years. Sure. We can round up. Yeah. Okay, Roundup. No, we don't use Roundup. No. It's, it's very dangerous. For the plants. For the plants. Okay. I digress. Anyway, so what we're going to do here now is this. I want to be really clear to all of our listeners. You got to do this, and it's we're going to keep it super simple. It's going to be lots of fun, and we're all going to compare notes. You're all going to get an opportunity, if you want to, to come on the show in about five weeks, depending upon whether our honey wines are fully fermented. But we can also check in along the way as well. So what I'm going to do is this. We're going to talk you through what to do to get started. Then we'll revisit this for a few minutes each week just to kind of keep you on track. If you have any questions, first, I'll have the instructions, the recipe posted at GraveEncounters.com. So you can go there. You can also write me. Just write me. It's David at GraveEncounters.com. I will personally write you back if I'm not too busy. <laughs> just, I'm kind of sheltering in place by myself. So I'm pulling some extra duty here right at the moment. Anyway, Chris, let's go through the list of things that people need. Okay. Sure. It's not a very big list. No. And the th one thing to remember, you know, people have been making meat for thousands of years. So, you know, they didn't have high tech fancy stuff. You don't need it either. You know, it's a, it's a very basic ancient thing that people just made in, you know, clay pots at one time, right? Yeah, exactly. In fact, it's really funny because I remember reading a story a couple of years ago about the, the oldest known creation of wine was like 10,000 years ago. They unearthed these jugs or bowls or something, and it was bowls, actually. 
and it had still had traces of honey and also rice um, that they fermented together. Now, I think it actually was the first known instance of somebody eating rice crispy. Okay, but <laughs> I digress again. Hey, anyway, um, yeah, it's been around for a long time. It's because it's super easy. Yep. All right. So what do we need? We need a jug, right? Yeah. I mean, a jug or a jar, you know, something big enough to hold all the ingredients. And you actually want it to have a little bit of extra space because, you know, depending on the yeast and how cold your house is, sometimes it'll foam up a little bit. So give it a little extra space on top if you can. So first of all, I want to say this. Whatever you do, let's make it a gallon container, okay? And the easiest gallon container that I can think of is an apple cider bottle because those are like a gallon right yep this is you know your normal one gallon or you know like sangria sometimes comes in the same kind of thing yeah it's really the perfect size and shape for this project so uh, just uh, suffice to say we want a container that has a very narrow neck but not so narrow that we can't get some fruit through that because we're going to put a little fruit in there okay so it can't be you know super tiny but if you've seen an uh, apple cider bottle, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. And we're going to make one gallon each. And by the way, one gallon will hold you over. By the way, if also, if you're ambitious and you want to make five gallons or ten gallons, just do the math and, uh, and you could do that. But, okay, so we got the bottle. Now, one of the things that they typically call for when you're making meat or anything in a jug like that is an airlock. And But none of the listeners, for the most part, are going to have access to an airlock while sheltering in place. So – Explain what the airlock is and how we're going to get around it. Sure. So, you know, when the the yeast is in there fermenting the sugars away, um, it's going to give off carbon dioxide. You know, it's just there's gas that's going to just sort of bubble out of it, and it needs to be able to get out. You don't want to, you know, build up a lot of pressure. So it's got to escape, but you also don't want the air from your house or any bacteria going in at the same time. So you want something that will just let the, you know – the extra gas escape quietly out the side door, right? Like the dog did it. Right. <laughs> so like, you know. A, the gas is escaping quietly. Yeah. Yes, so, okay. you know, a fancy airlock that, you know, you would buy at a store for that purpose would, you know, like have water in it and the, air, and the gas would be able to bubble past the water. Um, but you don't strictly need to do that. So a lot of people suggest that all you really need is a balloon. And the balloon, you just put the balloon over. And, and it needs to be, a, you know, not a really tiny balloon. It's, uh, you know, a balloon that's got some substance to it, right? And you put the balloon over the top of the bottle. But then what you do is you put a, a very small hole at the end, the opposite end of the balloon. And the theory is, is that the gas will escape through that hole but the air is not gonna find its way back into the balloon. Yeah, because you got the, the gas. You small. got you got the gas forcing its way out, and and so it's gonna come into contact with the air and say, "No air, no, 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 you're not getting in my mead." Right? Yeah, and just a little pinprick because if there's a little extra gas, it'll push that balloon open, and the the hole will just pop open a little bigger and let it out. So yeah, the smallest hole you can put in it really is probably what you want. Okay, so that is um, what we need in terms of jug and essentially it's kind of an enclosure. You want to save the cap for the jug, of course, when you finally finish with this product. And which, by the way, very cool is is that you're actually making this wine in 
the same container that you're going to store it in and serve it from. Yep. And so it's cool, you know, no muss, no fuss. It's like a one pot cooking. So now let's move on to the other ingredients. Okay. That's it for hardware, right? Yep. Am I forgetting anything? I mean, there are fancy things you can get, but you don't need them. Okay. So ingredients, we need water, right? Yep. And we need honey. Yep. So let's talk about proportions for a second. Uh, About a pound of honey, as I see it, is just about right. And and that's, I mean, that's not a huge amount of honey if you're thinking, wow, a pound, but it could be two pounds, right? It kind of doesn't matter too much, right? No. So, you know, if you only use a little bit of honey, you'll get something that is going to have less alcohol and it's also going to you know, be done a little bit faster, probably. Right, yeah. And if you want something that's, you know, going to knock your socks off, you know, and be like a strong wine, you can do that, too. Uh, honey by itself can't ferment because it doesn't actually have enough water. But if you even mix it with water, you know, even you don't have to dilute it that much for it to be able to ferment. But right. you might want to. Otherwise, you're going to end up with, you know, something that's going to be a little bit higher octane than you're looking for. So we're talking here about a half a gallon of water is what you need. And again, this re- the recipe will be posted at GrapeEncounters.com. So look for it there. Half a gallon of water and then somewhere between one and one and a half pounds of unprocessed honey. And uh, you'll probably want less to make a dry wine and a little bit more to make a sweet one, right? Yeah. If you, if you go far enough on the sugar with anything like this, eventually it'll get to the point where some of it's left over and that'll always make it sweeter. Now, you almost didn't do this show with me when it because when it came to yeast, I said, uh, you were starting to talk about the different strains of yeast. And I said, Chris... They're they're imprisoned right at the moment in their own houses. Where are they going to get this fancy yeast that would be exactly the right thing to make mead? And everybody says, at least the recipes that I've reviewed, they all say you can use, you know, yeast for bread making. Fleischmann's, I think, is the big brand out there, right? Yeah. And it doesn't take much. How much are we talking Oh, I mean, a, a, a pinch. So part of how the fermentation works is that the yeast will actually, you know, reproduce and replicate in the mixture that you're making. So if you have enough for it to just get started, it'll grow itself and, until it's done fermenting. So you don't yeah. need a huge amount. Okay. There are a couple of other things that you can optionally add to the mix. We're going to talk about those in just a second. We don't have time to do it right now. Uh, we're talking to Chris Munch. And he is my resident cider and mead wine expert. You're not really a resident. But, uh, but well, I'm not far. But, anyway, you're a school teacher, but you're really leaning more and more into making more of an occupation out of the adult beverage business. If, if I can get to the point where I could be a part-time cider maker, that would be pretty cool. I wouldn't want my whole life to be dependent on the whims of the cider consumer and the apple crop, but... um you know, it would be really cool to be able to do it at least part-time. All right. It's Chris Munch, and we will be back with more Grape Encounters as we teach you how to make honey wine. We're going to do it as a group, everybody. It's it's going to be a family affair, thousands of us making honey wine at the same time. And by the way, I am sure this is going to get a bunch of publicity. You want to be a part of this movement, I swear. Now stick with me. We will be right back.
All radio, we are back with Grape Encounters Radio, and I must tell you that uh, a month ago when we were ordered to shelter in place, I was wondering how well we would all cope with this. Imagine if we had to do this without the internet. That's all I can say, because it would really be terrible because we'd only be able to talk by phone. But instead, people are doing really, really super creative stuff online, and it's so easy to get access to some of the best chefs, for instance, in the world that are given cooking lessons for free that you would pay thousands of dollars to attend if you were going to someplace like the Cordon Bleu or the Culinary Institute of America. Likewise, we're going to teach you how to make mead wine. <laughs> Not quite as sophisticated as the things that come out of the Culinary Institute of America, but fun all the same. It is a great diversion, I think, and at the end, you get to drink your hobby, which is fun. Anyway, Chris Munch is here. He's got the mead, or honey wine as we call it, thing down pat. This mead that you brought me, it's sweet, but it's also, as I mentioned earlier, frizzante. So it's got this just really, really small, refined bubbles. It's more of a fizz than you know, carbonation. But anyway, very delicious. All right. So we were talking about ingredients. First of all, we told you you need a gallon jug and all you really need is a balloon. Now, if you can get your hands on an airlock, if you're feeling really, really ambitious, you could just go onto Amazon and you'll be able to find one there. Just a little plastic device. Shouldn't cost you more than a couple of bucks. Cheap. But the balloon will work just fine. So uh, you could do that. You're going to need just one packet of yeast, right? Yeah. I mean, you don't, no, Probably you don't even need, need that, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. And then you need the honey. You're going to need about a pound to two pounds of honey. That isn't a lot, okay? Probably two nice-sized jars, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Uh, let's see. A gallon is 12 pounds, so, you know, you're talk, probably talking a cup. A cup to two cups of honey is probably plenty. That's it? Okay. You also need water. You're going to need a half a gallon of a, a good quality water, not out of your tap, okay? You, wanna... yeah, you don't want it to be chlorinated if you can help it because that can get a little weird yeah. sometimes. So how do we dissolve the honey into the water? It just warm it up, right? Yeah. So you know, depending on how runny your honey is, and that's going to just be how warm it is in your house mostly – how um, runny how runny together. your honey is? Yeah. Reminds me of an old rhyme from school. When you're dancing with your honey and your nose is getting runny, people think it's funny, but it's not. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, like I think about the, you know, the, uh, the Bugs Bunny molasses running in January. Ah, you know, okay. It, you know, it's a syrup just like that, right? So, you know, if it's cold, you keep it in your garage or something. You're going to want to bring it inside and warm it up. Otherwise, it's going to be... A real pain to get it out, and it's not going to mix with the water real well. So you want to warm the water up, but not boiling. Not, no, not you don't nearly want it anywhere near boiling. You want it. You can help. It. You want it warm, but certainly comfortable enough for you to be able to stick your fingers into the water and not burn your fingers. Not, yeah, you, we're not you know, looking for boiling here. We're looking for warm. You know. Yeah, the yeast will not activate if it's not warm enough. Or they might activate really slowly. You don't know. You, you want it to be warm to start out. Okay, sure. so we've put the honey in this warm water, and the water can be a bit warmer than warm when you're dissolving the honey. But by the time you get around to the yeast, you don't want the water to be too hot because you could kill the yeast. Yeah, so you definitely want it, you know. We're talking about less than 100 degrees. Less than 100 is a good Less number, than 100 yeah. degrees, okay? Now, the other things that you can add here, this is totally optional, but 
I just want to give it to you as an opportunity to get super creative here. And that is fruits. Okay. You can add raisins. You could add, you know, fresh berries if you want to. You, you probably, in every case, you'll want to muddle them. In other words, break them up a little bit, okay? Just like you would crush grapes, and you're going to have to find a way to get them through that hole. And as you mentioned earlier, Chris, you want a little airspace in that gallon jug. Yeah, you don't want to overfill it because as that yeast gets going and it's you know making bubbles and stuff, it can, depending on what yeast it is and you know what the temperature it's, is, it it's, can it's, foam up it's and it can make a mess. It's Fleischmann's bread yeast. That's what it is. But is it the rapid rise? I don't know. Does no, it matter, I, by the way? I don't use it to make, so I don't know. Uh, but I bet it you he know, says, definitely works. He says with his nose in the air. Well, yeah. I'm sorry. People are stuck at home. I'm, I understand that. Yeah. They're not going to. I've I've never made meat or anything with a bread yeast. For all I know, it could be good. I don't know. Have you ever made pruno? Do you know what that is? No. It sounds scary. So pruno is, uh, <laughs> it's what they make in prison. And they'll take anything that ferments. It could be bread. It could be fruit. It could be anything. They'll get like a garbage bag. And they'll add all that and sugar and water into the bag. And they find a way. A lot of times they'll hide the bag inside the toilet tank. Yeah. Which Anyway, it's called Pruno. And uh, it's a, a very, very gross wine. If, if this quarantine goes on for any length of time, we may be making Pruno. But actually, we've got to stop here at this point in time. This is all you need to do. You will find the instructions online. You have our permission to move forward with this. So very simple. You're going to get your jug. You're going to add to the jug about a half a gallon of spring water or distilled water. You're going to add about a pound to a pound and a half, let's say, even two pounds of honey in there. You're going to let it dissolve in this very warm water, but as the water cools down a little bit and gets down to, let's say, 90, 95 degrees, you can then add your yeast. Yep. And you're just going to want to give it a little shake. You want to get a little bit of air bubbles mixed in as well, because that's actually what lets the yeast grow, is it needs air at the beginning, and then it'll use up the air, and then it'll ferment. So when do we actually expect fermentation to begin? Within a couple of days? You know, it depends. Uh, Sometimes you'll see it within a day. Sometimes it'll be a week before you can really notice it bubbling away. It just depends on how much water and how much sugar and the temperature and maybe the phase of the moon. Very good point. And by the way, do not refrigerate this, okay? It needs to be in a nice warm spot. Um, Room temperature is really good. Room temperature is good, yeah. Somewhere around 70 degrees is a great spot because you don't want it to ferment too fast or it'll just kind of explode. A big mess everywhere. And you don't want it to be so slow that that it gets stuck. So 70 degrees is great. So we're going to be doing everything on our end that we're telling you to do. We'll be starting this on Monday. So maybe you want to start on, you can do it on Sunday if you want. But if you need a little bit more guidance, then just go to grapeencounters.com and look for our mead wine recipe or honey wine. We'll take it from there. I got to wrap it up, Chris. And uh, this is going to be a whole lot of fun. And by the way, the singer-songwriter who created the song Honey Wine that inspired us to do this exercise is going to be doing a house concert for all of you. We will announce that date on next week's Grape Encounters. She is a lovely person, an amazing artist. And Chris, thanks a lot. Thanks, David. That's going to do it for Grape Encounters Radio. You guys uh, take care of yourselves. 
We will be back here next week, and we're going to continue uh, having a good time in the face of disaster here on Grape Encounters Radio. <laughs>